Hola, mamas. This is Natalie. I just want to say how happy I am we're doing this again. I hope you are too. There's nothing that I love more than to share the conversations I have with other mamas, with friends, even with those that have a thing or two to teach me about my own kids. So this conversation is no different. I sat down with a friend, Andrea, who happens to be a social worker. She specializes in the area of child abuse. So together we discussed so many things, but one of the biggest outtakes was state regulation on discipline. This subject is one of those that she's, it keeps coming up and up and up. And anywhere you look in motherhood or even Instagram polls, when we ask you what you want us to talk about. I mean, raising a child is a daunting task, let alone disciplining them. I go to bed thinking, did I traumatize my child today? Is she going to need therapy when she's an adult because of something I said or did? So any discussion, any conversation that I can have about it and learn more, I'm right there with you. We do have a disclaimer. We are in no way encouraging spanking or any type of discipline that is done in anger or in a manner that brings pain or bodily harm and injury to a child. With that said, I'm going to let this conversation start. Enjoy. Welcome to Hola Mama Podcast. This is Natalie. And this is Christina. And we're just two friends sharing the weirdness and wonder that comes with everyday mamahood. Hoping to encourage our multicultural mamas as we navigate and raise our little ones between our two worlds, one bilingual conversation at a time. So while you clean up those big messes or fold those tiny little clothes, turn up the volume and join us as we talk all things mamahood. Andrea, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Andrea Juarez. I am uh, currently a social worker. I particularly work with foster care. Um, I have been in the profession for over approximately six years doing different types of work, starting off with family resource centers and then from there um, doing parenting groups as well to teach techniques um, in regards to discipline. And then I also did human options, which I work, I work with domestic violence. So, And then now, of course, I'm, doing, um, I'm in the position of foster care. So I've been doing this for six years, uh, particularly as a social worker. I've only been a social worker for almost two years. And I've learned so much. I've seen so much in these two years. Um, I am 25 years old. And I recently got married to my wonderful husband, Rigo. And I feel very blessed. Well... It is definitely a tough job to be a social worker, especially at 25. Well, girl, you're so young. <laughs> if I was 25 yeah. again. <laughs> um, let me ask you, why did you choose this type of work? Because there's not a lot of 25-year-olds who are willing to spend their time, you know, helping other families. And this is not an easy job, as we were talking about before we clicked the record button. Yeah, well, definitely. Like I, I, so once I graduated from high school at 18, I decided to go to Cal State Fullerton. And um, I was attending there, and I kind of changed a lot of majors. So I, I knew deep inside that I wanted to help people, but I really didn't know the profession. And so I remember that one time I told my sister, my sister Sandra, I was like, hey, Sandra, like, I really don't know what I want, like, what profession to choose. Like, I know I want to help people. And she was like, you know, Andrea, I have a friend that she does human services. So I wasn't familiar with the field of human services. And so then I kind of did my research, you know, started looking into that. And then I was like, wow, I mean, I work with crisis. I work with people, adults, any type of population. I was like, I really want to do this. So then after, you know, 
I started taking my general courses for that class. And man, girl, like I learned so much. Like I felt it was I felt as I was doing my career, I was learning about myself. And and because I was learning a lot about myself, I was opening a lot of a lot of things, a lot of wounds that I had that I never really dealt with. So then after that, you know, I graduated. I learned so much. I was interning and then I decided to go for my master's right away. So I I graduated um, with my two year program um, when I was 23. And since then, I've been in foster care. And I feel the reason why I decided to do this profession is because I was myself a abuse, a, a survivor of sexual abuse. And I wish that someone could have helped me. And so I feel that now I have such a big responsibility, you know, and in helping these children that come with so many issues and come with families that, you know, that are in some aspects, some can be very horrible, you know, other situations, you know, other families that unfortunately, you know, have their kids removed. But I I feel very blessed to do that. And it's because of my background with my trauma. I think it's amazing that you have decided a field um, of work Mm -hmm. that speaks to you also. You know, that you can give what you craved when you were a child, but didn't know that you needed. So I'm very excited that we can have this conversation today because I feel like a mother that comes in between two cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, mi, mi cultura mexicana y, y mi cultura pues, americana de haber mm-hmm. nacido aquí, pero haberme criado con papás mexicanos. Um, Algunas veces no sabemos cómo realmente um, corregir a nuestros hijos. And a lot of the things that are very typical and normal for us can be translated as abuse, which is the field that you work in. And so I'm very grateful to you that you took the time to speak with me. This is something that as a mom... uh, it is very important for for me to know and for us to share. Um, I know a lot of mamas that are very easily influenced by our parents yeah. and our parents are influenced by their parents and we aren't exactly, or they weren't exactly the most knowledgeable on how to raise children. We're going to start with the first question, which I think is honestly the question that we've been asked the most on the on the show and also a question that I've been wanting to know and that is is it illegal to spank my child um so you did bring a good point I also want to share you know I was also raised in a culture you know where my parents my parents um they would hit me I you know um, physically like always you know like a lot of Hispanic parents as well my dad would use a belt you know I was raised in a domestic violence um family where my dad was very demeaning towards my mother and I grew up in that environment. So when I grew up, of course, I decided to kind of defy those odds and be like, no, I'm not going to be the same, you know? So I I know a lot of people, you know, especially me growing up, I thought it was something normal. And I know a lot of like, even like you mentioned in the Hispanic culture, they still believe it's something that is very normal. But I do want to say that spanking is not illegal. However, there is, um, there can become illegal issues because of that. And it depends. And I do want to first give the definition about physical abuse that I think it's very important to know. So um, physical abuse is generally defined as a non-accidental physical injury to the child and can include striking, 
kicking, burning, or biting the child, or any action that results in a physical impairment to the child, right? Um, it's also the definition of abuse also includes acts of circumstances that threaten the child with harm or create a substantial risk of harm to the child's health and welfare. So what I, when I was talking to my friend Christy, you know, like I said earlier, we really think this is a sensitive subject and spanking is allowed with certain, obviously, limitations, which I also found. So it says that it is not illegal to spank a child open hand on the bottom, however, over the clothing and not leaving a mark. So you can spank your child with an open hand. Open hand. Not a fist. Yes. With, with their clothes on. Yes. And without leaving a mark. A mark. However, you also have to think about that, Natalie, because a lot of moms, whenever they do spank the child, they do it out of anger. So that also has a lot to do in this. Like whenever, let's say there's an investigation um, of, of, let's let's talk about a, a difficult case. So we have a kid that, you know, the mom got really upset, le bajo el pantalón, and she spanked him, right? You know, it's scary that that's like a typical scenario in any like, Hispanic home in and I keep referring to Hispanic home because this is a Latino you know podcast Latina mama podcast (laughs) so I'm going to refer to that because spanking was encouraged in fact the bible is used as a pues la biblia dice Mm -hmm. that what is it la la vara de corrección corrige al niño so this is okay so this is really good because we have the biblical Mm -hmm. point on it and this is like the state point on it so okay yeah so like you said um so the state you know like i said i don't want to say that it's precisely legal because i don't want to put that responsibility on myself but it just depends there's a lot of factors for example like i gave you the situation earlier if a mom decides to put down the pants you know smack the baby or the child whatever and the baby ends up getting a bruise well guess what that's an abuse report and what does that happen then what it leads is obviously a social worker is going to come in obviously if it's reported she's going to come in She's going to investigate. She finds any physical because that's that's part of it. When they come in, an emergency response worker, she will literally strip the, the baby's clothing and take it off and see if there's any bruises, any marks, any scars, mm-hmm. whatever. And that can really result in a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just important to really think in what in what manner are you doing it? Are you doing it out of anger? Because I know that a lot of a lot of mothers also, because they get very impatient. Yes. Um, you know, their kids doing this, they're having tantrums, especially if they have more than one kid, they tend to just go to, oh, let me spank or, or even pulling the ear or even, um, you know, um, kind of like even pinching. Those things are not allowed. Yeah. They're not allowed. This is so good to know because I can see a well intended mother, like a, with good intentions, you know, que quiere corregir a su, a su niño o, o estamos en un lugar donde tienen que estar callados and kind of between lips te voy a te voy a pellizcar si no te pones en paz you know like <laughs> it's so good to know where it borderline is like abuse yeah. so you said um spanking with their pants off or no clothes um what else we said pinching, pinching. um pulling ears, pulling ears like what else would be considered abuse? Oh, man. Um, physical abuse can also be using any object. A lot of, you know, growing me growing up in the Hispanic culture, my dad, unfortunately, he would hit me with a belt. And, you know, just he would inflict a lot of abuse. 
And even a lot of, in the in Hispanic culture, you know, Natalie, they're like, oh, está el cinto. And then a lot of kids get scared because of the cinto. They're like, no, 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 don't hit me, you know? But it is like a magical potion that literally makes up stand yeah. up tall, right? Yeah, La chancla, scared, el they, cinto. They will behave well. But even going to the chancla that you brought up, a, a good, that's considered an object, mm-hmm. right? So if you use a chancla, you know, and you spank the kid and the kid gets a bruise, the kid reports it, you will be in very big trouble. And, and it's good that we're talking about that right now so as a form of prevention because a lot of Hispanic mothers, they do this. Mm-hmm. Their form of discipline can be very harsh, but there's other forms of discipline that you can use with your children. It doesn't need to be physical. Right. There is emotional, emotional. abuse, mental abuse. I mean, aparte de la chancla y el cinto, tenemos the apodos, los, the name calling. Oh my goodness. Burro, menso. Um, what, what have you, um, what can you tell us about emotional abuse? And then we'll get into the mental one. So usually emotional abuse um, from, you know, me studying in my career has always been the hardest to be able to actually have facts about. Mm. Because obviously, you know, with physical abuse, you can see a bruise, you can see this and that. Even with, with negligence, neg- ne- neglect. Um, you know, a child, a child doesn't have food, doesn't have clothing. Those are things that you can see, right? But when it comes to emotional abuse, it's, it's harder to identify or to have a report because of emotional abuse because it's mostly verbal. Um, you can't, you know, a kid can't, can say, oh, my mom is saying this or that, but sometimes they don't have proof, right? And a lot of people go based on the proof, like the facts. But usually I, I know it's growing up in the Hispanic culture, you know, I grew up in that. My father would always tell me, eres una inútil. No sirves para nada. Um, they would always tell me. It, well, they wouldn't tell me, but I would hear, you know, com- uh, like comments of, oh, you're dumb, you're this and that. And that affects a child, leading the child to have a lot of mental health disorders. And that's what that's that's part of emotional abuse. A lot of children end up having anxiety. They end up having depression. Why? Because of the of the home environment. Right. Yeah. I believe our cultural background and sentiment towards, you know, the chancla, mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost melancholic. Lo decimos con nostalgia. Oh, mamá me sacaba la chancla y el cinto. And, and we continue the same child rearing patterns on, on our own kids. Um, you mentioned that there are resources online that we can go in and find. Um, can you tell us what those are again and how we can educate ourselves as parents yeah definitely um i think one very great resource that i encourage a lot of you know the the, the moms that are here listening to this right would be um to call nine um 211 so 211 is um a number that you can call it's 24 7 that provides you with resources but um if you go there they can they can refer you to parenting classes they can refer you to therapy they can refer your children to um, to therapy and provide you additional services that you may need right so i think that those are definitely some of the resources and not just that even looking online a lot of articles they teach you the appropriate way of discipline you know and also participating in in parenting classes can definitely show you the different disciplines that you can apply at home because a lot like i said in the hispanic culture is very common to use physical abuse um to use a lot of emotional abuse as well and a lot of negligence um so but we need to kind of get away from those you know the that way of thinking do you feel like as latina moms we're going to be offended by somebody telling us to take parenting classes i yeah i've worked with a lot of latina moms and 
you know, sometimes they're referred. But but on the other hand, I've also seen a lot of Latinas mom actually want to come and seek help. Because like you said earlier, they come, their way of discipline was possibly when they were in Mexico or even here, their, their yeah. way that they were raised was through physical abuse, through emotional abuse. So they want to be turned around and actually be different. So I feel that in this generation, we're kind of inclining more now. I've, I've noticed that it's coming more of them deciding to take parenting classes, look at different forms of interventions, not going back to how their parents used to, mm-hmm. you know, imply a form of discipline. I think it's such an important topic because when Selena and I mm-hmm. were expecting our first child, we said that we would never hit Camille. We were not going to go this spanking route. We were going to talk to our child, we were going to, um, you know, work her feelings through whatever the situation was, whatever tantrum it was. And when we started experiencing the hardcore toddler tantrums, we didn't know what to do. Obviously, talking to a two-year-old wasn't like, it wasn't working. And so I remember that we'd stare at each other and go like, well, what do we do? You know, what what do we do? Nobody sat us down and we didn't look online either to, I might have Googled, you know, like how to deal with tantrums. Yes. But I never actually sat down to see how I can, well, I never sat down to educate myself on how to apply discipline to, to a child. As a mom, I believe that, that we should discipline our children, but the right way. Yeah. The way that's not going to produce any trauma, the way that um, is not going to scare me if I'm in public and I want to discipline her, I I want to be able to do that mm-hmm. for her. So this is a really important conversation, I feel, for the moms out there who have no idea where to go from here, <laughs> like what to, what to do. So let me ask you, and this is not on our list, but from your experience and what you have seen, if you had children, you know, in the near future, will it or how will it influence your parenting of your children? Well, I think that since obviously now I'm, I'm well, I don't have any children right now. Right. Um, and I'm in the social work field. I've learned so much through, you know, my employment and doing parenting classes and teaching parenting classes. Um, I do feel that I'm going to actually I, well, I might be wrong, Natalie, but I feel like I'm going to apply what I've learned. Um, you earlier brought um, brought up something where you said sometimes if you if you're in the store right, and your child is having a tantrum, there's always a motive, there's always a reason. It's not just out of nowhere the kid is going to start crying, he's going to start kicking, or he's going to throw himself on the floor. There's always a reason. So I can bring you a situation, a very easy situation. So I had a foster mom, and one time she came to me, she's like, Andrea, you know, I'm just so tired, like. She keeps having tantrums. And we're talking about an eight-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. She, she's just having so many tantrums. And at the store, like, once we go to Walmart, like, she just, she's in there and she starts running around the store. She's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I now, because she does that, I don't even want to take her with me to the store. Obviously, that's not good for a child, right? Mm-hmm. So as a parent, especially in this case, a foster parent, you want to make sure that the child is being exposed to activities, is going to the store, the mall, the park, whatever it is. So I told the foster mom, have you even asked the girl, what's the reason? She's like, no. I'm like, well, I think that you should start off from there first because you first they have a motive, right? So after, so point being, I talked to the little girl, you know, privately in her room and I told her, hey, mija, like, you know, the foster mom told me this and 
that you're running around the store? Like, what's the reason? Like, I want to help you, you know? And she's like, well, Andreas, because I like to go to the toy section. She's like, and the foster mom doesn't like to go to the toy section. She prefers to go and shop for food. She's like, but I want to go see the toys. And I'm like, okay. So I found out the motive. Her thing was as a child, innocent child, right? It's just, oh, I'm going to run because I want to go look at the toys. And hopefully I get a toy, right? But the foster mom wasn't understanding that. And obviously she was getting frustrated and coming to me and being overwhelmed. Like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. So then we ended up talking like, you know what? Let's, let's do this. Every time you go to a store, first take the child where she wants to go. And she's like, oh, well, I never thought about that. And I'm like, well, possibly that can help with the situation. And yeah, after I went to the next week to my visit, she ended up telling me, Andrea, like, it really did help. Like, I just take her to where she wants to be. And after she's satisfied, then we end up going to do what we have to do, you know? But instead of yelling at the girl, you know, instead of doing that, she did another form of intervention. So there's always a motive. So you, as a mom, I, I know I'm not a mom, but I encourage all the mothers out there to really try to figure out the reason why your child is having a tantrum. If he's having a tantrum in a group of little kids, toddlers, mostly it's because they don't want to share or the kid hit him or whatever it is. So you have to pull your child aside, not pull him physically, you know, but kind of step into the side and tell him, Mija, what's going on? Like, what's happening? They will tell easily tell you, mama, it's because he doesn't want to share. And then you find an intervention. Okay, well, let's set a timer. Let's do a timer. Let him play the timer. And once the timer clicks, then it's your turn. So these are interventions that you can do. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I like that as, like, prevention mm-hmm. because as moms, sometimes our head is somewhere else. Like, yeah. we, we really – I heard um, a quote one day that said – um, it's their day too. Like, it's not just yours. You're, you're running around doing all the adult stuff. Like, it's their day too. And, um, well, oh my goodness, where was I going with this? So, to take into account their feelings and their thoughts. Um, so when you're out in public and they're throwing a tantrum and you're feeling embarrassed or you're feeling like, make it stop. And before you rush into, you know, discipline, like harsh discipline that can get you in trouble to really like get to know your child first. Um, There are things that I don't do with Camille. For example, I don't take Camille and Caleb out like before 10 because at 10 Caleb has a nap and if he doesn't nap, he's terrible. Like that little kid will not let me do anything. And I know Camille naps at 12. If she doesn't nap, she's feisty she's crying she wants more sugar like if we go to the store she wants all the candy and I'm I constantly have to go no 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 and take it away from her hands and so I learned that right away like I need to get to know these kids so I know when I can go out and prevent you know any any tantrums in the in the store so I know you keep saying you're not a mom, but, and you don't know, but I, I think you know more, <laughs> I think you know more than, than we do. Like you've got it pretty much figured out. I also want to say that what I've noticed that helps children a lot <clears throat> improve their behavior is incentives. Yeah. They're highly incentivized. And whenever you tell them, for example, in your situation, if you talk to Camille, you tell Camille, Hey Camille, like, you know, I know you're sleepy right now, honey, but first, you know, if you let your mom do, you have to be specific. Because kids need something specific. Kids don't understand. If you let your mom wash, you know, her clothes, and after that, then you can get a candy. Obviously, I'm not encouraging candies, but it's up to whatever you want to apply. Then kids would be, okay, mommy, I'm going to do it, right? So it's always children, they're more prone to behave if you provide an incentive. And I know that a lot of moms that are Mexicanas are like, no, como, I'm going to buy them a toy. Do I have to buy them this? Because sometimes kids, they're like, mom, if I... 
mom, if I behave well, like, um, I want a toy. You know, and their mom was like, no, es que tú te tienes que portar bien. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to give you a toy para que te portes bien. Mm-hmm. But a lot of a lot of kids, you know, they they want an incentive. So instead of obviously doing toys, what I would what what I would encourage my my parents when I was doing the parenting group is, I know that in the store they sell like little spinners, and in those little spinners you can put the different incentives. Incentives can be like, oh, I'm going to give you a five minute massage, whether you think the kids like it mm-hmm. because they're also spending quality time with the mom. And you can also apply to the father, right? Or because you behaved well yesterday, I'm going to do your bed today. Uh, or because you behaved well t- um, this week on Wednesday, we're going to go to um, eat ice cream or whatever. But I also want to note that incentives have to be immediate. They can't be like, oh, if you behave these five days and at the end of the week, we're going to go to the park. No, they have to be immediate gratification. So there's a lot of research also on immediate gratification that uh, you mothers you know, can look at. And I really encourage that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very important. I was also thinking right now that you mentioned for the dad too, like, have you ever in your experience had like two parents with different discipline methods? Like one parent is like, no, no le pegues or no le, no lo regañes. And the other parents like on the other side of the spectrum where they're like, no, they need discipline. They need to get spanked. And, um, have you, have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that in a lot of, you know, marriages. And unfortunately, what that brings, it brings a lot of issues to the kid. Because it's like, sometimes they even have like favoritism. They're like, oh, I prefer my mom more because she's nicer and she does this. But my dad, he's more harsh. He's more strict. But it also takes back to the fact that as a marriage, you need to work together. You need to discuss. You Don't fight. Don't argue in front of your kids. If you're going to apply a consequence, first talk in the room. You know, talk about the issue. What is the consequence that we're going to apply to little Tommy, let's say? What's the consequence we're going to apply? And you guys have to be on the same page because that confuses children. Mm-hmm. So whenever I've seen those situations, I have had to bring the fathers in, the father and the mother, and discuss this, the importance of being in the same page and not confusing the, ch- the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That is very important. And we, kids are so smart. Like, we have seen that firsthand with our I use Camille a lot because obviously she's my toddler. It's like the first, she's the first child. So we're going through it right now. But I have seen her come up to me and say like, for example, mami, me abres el chocolate? And I'm like, no, Camila, no has comido. And then she'll sneak over to where my husband is and she'd be like, papi, me abres el chocolate? And he doesn't know that she hasn't had dinner or whatever. And he'll open it for her. And then I'll get upset, you know, like, why did you give it to her? Like yeah. in front of her. And, and we've made that mistake where um, also I don't know the whole background and Selena's scolding her for something mm-hmm. and I jump in, you know. And so later on, we can tell that Camille chooses like who's in a better mood today that I can get away with you know, candy, like what I want to do. So I guess that is very important to talk with your partner and decide on how you are going to discipline your, your children. And I think that one thing that you guys can use is like, let's say Camille does go to Celine. Then Celine can be like, did you ask your mom? And then she's like, well, yes. Okay. What did she say? Well, she said, I can't have, okay, then you can't. So I think it's also important even using those questions like, for example, if you see that Celine is, um, you know, scolding her or telling her, hey, you know, you did this wrong or whatever, and you feel like, oh, my God, what is what's happening? Then just, you know, obviously talk to Celine. And also you can talk to Camille and tell her what happened. What did dad say? Oh, he said this. OK, well, I agree with that because that way the kids don't have favoritism. And that's very important in marriage as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I see um, we've already discussed like abuse, emotional abuse. Um, do you have anything to share about mental abuse? So mental and emotional would be considered the same. Okay. So what about neglect? Should we talk about neglect? Yeah. Because abuse, like child abuse, obviously you made it very clear. Anything open hand, anything that leaves marks, anything on their skin, right? Without any clothing, that would be considered abuse. Any pinching, ear pulling, jalar las greñas, or throwing anything at them, an object, or hitting them with an object. So that's pretty clear. Um, now, can we discuss child neglect? Yeah, definitely. So um, according to the um, Child Welfare Gateway, um, it says that neglect is the failure of a parent or other person with responsibility for the child to provide needed food, clothing, shelter, medical care, or supervision to the degree that the child's health, safety, and well-being are threatened with harm. I recently got a case. Um, it's a bio dad, a bio father. Obviously, he started working at 3 p.m., and he would get out like at 2 in the morning. So he had five kids, and what he did, he found it easy to leave his kids at home alone. And I know a lot of Latinas and a lot of Hispanic moms, they like, oh, mijo, cuida tu hermano, ahorita vengo. And they're like 13 years old, thinking that they can take care of like a five-year-old. No, do not do that. There can be a lot of consequences. And that also has to do with supervision. And we've gotten a lot of cases because moms are working, dads are working, and the children are not attended. They sometimes, I, I recently got a case of kids that all they eat is cereal because their dad was working and they didn't have a mom. So all they did is eat cereal. They don't even eat any food. They're, they're actually, the foster parent is introducing them to food. Why? Because the bio dad was working, which is understandable, especially in this culture. Mm -hmm. uh, we need a hustle. We need to work, you know? But what did that result in, in, in a case? It also has to do with clothing. A lot of children sometimes come with, um, to school with their holes on their shirts and then with, in their shoes as well. They don't have the appropriate materials. Like, especially like if it's cold, come on, you guys have to put their sweaters on, right? And we've seen a lot of cases where they arrive and with their clothing is not appropriate to the weather. Yeah. I love that you brought up clothing mm -hmm. because, um, my husband can tell you there's nothing that makes me more upset than when I see like a mom, it's like dead winter. They have a big jacket on. They have even like a beanie and boots and then they're carrying a baby, you know, on their little carrier in front of them. And the baby is like just in a onesie and always barefoot. You know, no tiene ni calcetines ni zapatos. Honestly, that, that makes me so upset because I'm thinking if you're so cold, like your baby's going to be even more cold. And well, a lo mejor también es algo de ser mexicana, ¿no? Que si está destapada de los pies, se le va a meter el frío. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> la, la gripa. And what are they thinking? Se le va, va a agarrar un resfriado. That, that's just me. But because it is cold outside and these little babies are like barefoot, just hanging off of their mamas. I think, Natalie, that there's a lot of things that it just depends. I mean, if we're talking about a mother that, let's say they go to the home and there's no clothing, I mean, that's a concern. Yeah. The, the mother's not providing the basic needs of a child, then okay, yes, that's a concern. Mm -hmm. Or even when it comes to, you know, feeding the baby. You know, if they're not feeding the baby appropriately, the baby's having issues, they're not taking them to their, you know, medical visits, whatever it may be, then that's a concern. But it's like, we, I can't just really say that that's going to be, that's going to result of, you know, a child being taken away. It's just 
there's so many factors. Yeah. So many factors that it would be impossible for me to say, oh, yeah, this is a situation where they're going to, no, I can't say that. It's just, there's so many things. Obviously, every circumstance is different. Every situation is different. And I'm glad that the system has a way of, you know, taking it a case by case basis versus, versus just like, yo creo que el miedo de nosotros como hispanas es que oh, they're going to take my kids away, you know, they're going to take my kids away. Siempre es un miedo. Va a venir la, la trabajadora, la trabajadora, you know, that's yeah. what we, y, y te va a llevar. And, and we also, like, it's just like a fear panic. But um, when you guys get a call, you guys go in the home. And first, there are steps, right, before any children are removed from the home. Yeah, so um, usually, so I'm going to give you a, a, an example. If I notice that there's... Now, I do want to bring up that child abuse, a person, any person can report child abuse. So once I make the phone call, you know, there's a particular number, especially every county differs from the number they have, but you guys can find it on the website. Um, whenever you make the phone call, they ask you a lot of questions, Natalie. Mm. Like they ask you, okay, what's the child's name, the their date of birth, their age, the school they go to, the grade the bio parents information, telephone number, address. Then they start asking you questions about, is there any dangerous animals in the premises? Like, do you know if there's any guns and blah, blah, blah. So they ask so many questions, right? So after a report is made, um, usually there's different time frames depending on the urgency of a report, right? So, I, so for example, if we're talking about a girl that's being sexually abused by a father or by someone that is living in the home, then that's an immediate concern. That requires law enforcement to be involved immediately. It's not about, oh, let me make a report to see. No, you have to call law enforcement because it's an immediate concern. The, the child is living with the perpetrator. You know, we don't want the child to be harmed. So obviously law enforcement will get involved. But then there's different time frames for other, they might come out in 10 days. I really, to be honest, Natalie, I don't know the time frame, but I do know that after, um, sometimes um, family pr preservation services are provided to the family. So before they're removed, the social worker comes in and they open a case, but it's a case where they provide services to the family. So don't think because, you know, they called the social worker that immediately they're going to take your kids away. It depends on the severity, the mm -hmm. severity of the case, whether this is completely a harm to the child and the child needs to be removed. But in many cases, I have seen that it, there's a lot of family preservation services where the social worker goes, you know, they provide services to the family, check up on them. And then after that, if there's no compliance with, from the bio parents, then that's when the kids are removed. Mm -hmm. So I have seen that. Wow. That's, I mean, it's something that you see every day because of your job. But sometimes as, you know, I guess we're all in our own little world. You know, y no, no nos damos cuenta que, que así es la ley, ¿no? Y que tiene sus estándares y que tiene sus procedimientos. And sometimes as a mindless mama, we're just running around and we do things that could be illegal and could be seen as abusive. Yeah. So I really do hope that this conversation, whoever listens to it, is um, inspired to take preventative measures <laughs> and um, also takes a really good look inward on how we are correcting and disciplining our children mm -hmm. and also um, how we are doing it at the moment. There have been times when I've been just so upset. Like I've reached the end of the rope and I remember like hide in your closet and take a deep breath before you go back out there and try to correct. You can't, no lo puedes hacer enojada. And 
slowly back away, take a deep breath, and then come back in and correct. Um, It's just so hard to do that sometimes because at the moment you want to, it's what you're feeling, right? Whatever impatient or rage that you're feeling, you want to deal with it right away. But we, we don't know the severity of where that can take us. So thank you again for having this conversation with me and really um, for encouraging me to take a closer look into, into discipline. Yeah. Maybe, um, you know, we can start a new way of disciplining where our children aren't going to laugh anymore about the chancla y el cinto mm-hmm. y la cuchara, you know, al contrario, que no sepan ni lo que es. Like, yeah, and yeah. I, I want to say that I think it, it would be best to, as a parent to the form of discipline to for your children to remember you as, oh, my mom was very understanding. She was very supportive. She actually took the time to listen to me instead of applying, you know, what is common in the Hispanic culture, the, the cinturón, you know, the chancla and stuff like that. And not just that, but other forms of, of discipline, which have been used, you know. Yeah. But I do want to note, Natalie, before, you know, we leave. I do want to note that I am in no way encouraging any um, spanking. Yeah. I do want to know that because it's non, it has to be non-accidental, right? So obviously when you spank someone, is for a purpose. So when you do that, you're, it's, it's no longer non-accidental. It's, some, it's something intentional. And it should never be you know, used as a form whenever you're angry, whenever you're upset. Like you said, I encourage all the moms to actually take a time. It's, it's okay to go to your room and you know, yell at your pillow or whatever it may be. Um, but don't use you know, this form of discipline in anger. It's more encouraged for me. I encourage all of you ladies to actually, you know, find the motive to your children. Actually take the time to empathize with them, to understand their perspective, what's happening. We all have a reason. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, Natalie. Whenever you're being hurt, you feel validated. Like you're like, man, like even if they probably don't agree with me, but like I felt like they actually heard me and they empathize with me and they understand my stance, like where I was coming from. And that's very valuable because that's what I like to do with my kids, you know, because I go and see them and... Sometimes the foster parents may be, you know, appliance, like, le quitan los juguetes. They take away the toys. We're not saying that taking away the toys, it's, um, which I don't think we touched upon the, the different interventions that you can use, but. Well, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, let's just uh, do it. So a lot of our foster parents, they usually take away privileges. It's always encouraged for privileges instead of, you know, using a, a chancla or sending them to the room or whatever. It, we also allow... Well, not we, but I'm just talking about an agency-wise time in. We don't call it timeouts anymore. We call it time in, where the kids actually go to a designated location um, where they can actually, you know, either sit down, not stand up. I would encourage to sit down, you know, or in the couch where they can sit down, really think about what happened and stuff like that. Um, And if we do, in our agency, what we do is we do not allow more than their age. So, for example, if your child is three years old, you're not going to put your child 15, 30 an hour there. Obviously, that's very irrational, right? So we do encourage time ins as well. And then also other forms of interventions like removing privileges. Like I was saying, mm-hmm. today, mijo, no te portaste bien. So because you didn't behave well, you're not going to watch television. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're going to fuzz about it. But it's better than you using another form of discipline that's going to cause problems in your family. And it's going to probably, you know, create a report for you. Or like what we also encourage is removing their toys for a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, I've, I've had Hispanic parents that are like, oh, Andrea, I'm going to take away the television for a month. That's excessive. Mm. that's very excessive. So it, it has to be very reasonable. So whenever you guys do apply consequences, really think about it. 
That's true because if I told her, you know, Camille, no television for a month, I know like I'm going to want to watch something. So I would, I would put something reasonable. I like what you said, instead of calling it time out, which could be very isolating and painful for a three-year-old, aparte Camille doesn't give a darn about time out. Like she doesn't understand it first of all, and she doesn't get it. Like to her, it's not even a punishment. So I've never used time out with her before, but a lot of people do like, and it works for them to put their kids in time out. I didn't know that that was also part of like the no, no list. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, for kids, usually Natalie would have noticed is a lot of kids, depending their age, they will not be able to stay in, in, <laughs> in a place for a particular, even like a minute, mm-hmm. like they're just going to be active or whatever. Um, so obviously that wouldn't be recommended. You know your child, so you know what you can apply. If you've already tried tra- time in and you notice it doesn't work, then obviously you have to go to another form of intervention. Mm-hmm. But um, it's very encouraged to do that, yeah. to just kind of take a look at your children. Like you said, there's other people that will have children that will stay there, you know, for like one minute, two minutes, yeah. whatever, and then they'll be good. But there's other children that, that are not that way. So you have to really get to know your child. Yeah. I think that's the big takeaway from this conversation. Like. Yeah really get to know how your child behaves and um, and not go through the same cycle that a lot of, you know, our parents before us or before them went through of immediate trying to resolve an attitude or something by shutting it down with con una amenaza del cinto, con una amenaza de, de pegarles, ¿no? Because I think the trauma goes even further than just like the, the pain that they go through for those few minutes. Um, I think something happens in their little brains where they feel like they can't approach mom and dad anymore. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that is more like that is not the trade-off that I would want from them. I would want them to always feel like they can approach me with whatever it is that they're going through versus I'm going to get in trouble and they're going to hit me and I'm going to experience pain. And I you brought up a good point um that I've seen in the Hispanic culture. A lot of moms are like, no, like I have to be harsh on her because I don't, I don't want to become her best friend. Because if I become her best friend, then then the discipline isn't going to be there. But it's not about becoming your child's best friend. I don't know if you've heard of that. You know that people mm-hmm. are like, oh, become your child's best friend. There's no need to take a a stance between should I be a mother, should I be a, a best friend. I think that you will always be a mother, but it's it's also important for your child. Now, if we talk about teens, Natalie, teens are the hardest, the hardest. Because they're going through so many stages in life. They're going through so many changes. And sometimes whenever things happen at school, like bullying, or they start having issues at school, they won't be, they won't approach you. Why? Because, oh, my mom is too harsh. My mom is too strict. But there has to be a balance. Yeah. Being a balance by, okay, you know what, Mija? I'm your mom. But I also want to know what's wrong. Like, I'm here to help you. Like, I want the best for you. Let's talk about it. Let's talk. How did school go today? Is there anything you want me to do? What can I do to help you? These are things that you need to talk to your children about. That's true. I creo que nuestra mentalidad es de que si no le demuestro que soy la autoridad, no me va a respetar. I need to whip her into shape. I'm hearing from you is you can always approach your child differently and they, you will still gain their respect, like still have their respect and even more. They'll appreciate everything or the way that you raise them. Yeah, what I always tell my friends is it's all about your approach. Mm-hmm. The approach matters greatly. In the way your child will respond, the way your your child will turn out. Obviously, there's going to be hardships, Natalie, because your child's are going to go through different stages in life. But just talking and validating and understanding can go a very long way. We had an episode, I think on the 
second or third episode where I shared how I would hide from my kids when I was crying, when I couldn't take it anymore. And the person that um, we were talking to said, no, you have to let them see you cry so they know you're you're human mm -hmm. that you as a mom you have emotions too if you're angry you're angry if you're sad you're sad and you it's important to validate feelings and emotions and that makes them approach you and respect you and it, it creates like a bridge between you and your child and it doesn't matter how old they are if they're three or they're 17 like just showing and stripping yourself to that humanity level that they can relate to that yeah well That's an awesome conversation. <laughs> thank you, Andrea, no again. I think on behalf of all the moms here, <laughs> thank you. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our podcast and find out more about us on Instagram.